Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Hello and welcome to Midweek in the Word. Thanks for joining us for another week on this week's episode. I am Pastor Brad Myers, Faith Bible Church's Adult Ministries Pastor. And as I'm sure you've grown accustomed to, I am joined <laughs> by Pastor Tom. Tom, welcome to the to the podcast again this week. Good morning, Brad. It's good to be back. Well, I, I'm, I want to jump right in um, because I think we might have a longer episode this week, and so I'm a little <laughs> concerned about time, so I want to make sure we have time to talk about your Route 66 sermon series, your snapshots from Genesis to Revelation. This last Sunday, you were in the book of, of Ezra, primarily in the first and seventh chapters, as you tipped your hat a bit to on the podcast yeah. last week. Um, so from the life of Ezra, same questions we always want to ask, coming back to those big themes. What did we learn about God from the life of Ezra? I think Ezra really reinforces that truth he's revealed over and over, and that is that he is the sovereign God who is ultimately in control of the flow of history. And uh, really, when Cyrus gets up and declares that they can go back to the land and realize God named him 200 years earlier in Isaiah 44. So you really see God as the, as the director of the affairs of mankind. Hmm. Always an encouragement. Uh, what about mankind? What did it reveal about us? Well, it, 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 the unnerving part is that it, even when experiencing God's amazing grace, I think really the broken heart of Ezra as he weeps before the Lord mm-hmm. over the waywardness, and he just realized that even when you experience rest, restoring grace, the heart still draws to what it wants, and so there are intermarriages and all that mm-hmm. that were just a blatant rebellion again. It, it's God corrects us, and then we roll right back in the old pattern. It's the nature of man. Mm, but for the grace of God, right? Yeah. And and that idea of intermarriage is actually what we were going to be talking about this week on the podcast. But before we get to that, we always want to be coming back to how does each story and each person point us to the person and work of Christ? So how did Ezra point us to Christ in the gospel? Well, I struggled a long time uh, to look for that, and I thought I was trying to force it. And then looking at uh, Luke chapter 4, when Jesus reads the text in his hometown, and when he, when he said, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That, that was really uh, Ezra's ministry, was to bring the captives back from the land of exile, back to their homeland, and to, to, to set them up, as it were, for the worship of the living God. And so there's, it's probably not quite as clear a picture as some of the others, but certainly the shadows were cast forward there. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, well, thanks again for the message on Sunday, Tom. Thanks for being willing to take on a book like Ezra. That again, <laughs> another one that we tend to avoid at times in our Bible reading. Um, and over the over the past few weeks, over your Route sixty six sermon series, we've explored a number of of key themes that have run their way through Scripture. Um, things that are highlighted again and again and again in the text intentionally. And this week, I want to explore one you've mentioned repeatedly, but have never quite had the opportunity <laughs> to speak into directly in your Sunday messages, this this theme of intermarriage that's such a prevalent mm-hmm. concept in the book of Ezra and other books as well. Uh, Sunday, you made the comment that it 
it really does matter who you marry. And, and you've made that comment a couple of other times. Yeah. Um, but this may be a new concept to some of our listeners. So I, so I want to explore this theme a little bit more and, and how this theme is, is drawn out through the whole text of Scripture. Um, so to, to better understand all this, you and I both know we've got to go back to the beginning mm-hmm. of the story. We've got to start in the book of Genesis. How does Genesis introduce the idea of marriage in the Bible? Well, I would say at every wedding I do that in, unless you understand marriage, you cannot understand the Bible. Unless you understand the Bible, you can't understand marriage. They're, they're, they're so intertwined. Genesis declares that God is the author of marriage, that it's not some kind of human cultural construct, but that God created a man and a woman for that man. And he declared in chapter 2, for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. They too become one flesh. So he, he lays the groundwork, the framework for what marriage is for the very beginning. Yeah. And, and allowing God to be the finer yeah. of marriage yeah. is critical for us uh, to have a biblical understanding of marriage. Uh, what's interesting about this then is in the book of Genesis, after the creation mm-hmm. of marriage by God, you have this standing up or this setting apart of the people of God, the, the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And, and we get a strange example there because more often than not, they take multiple wives. Yeah. So, so how is this idea expanded through the lives of the patriarchs given what precedent has been set in Genesis? Well, it's kind of interesting because God called Abraham out of an idolatrous culture and area, or the Chaldeans. But when he called him out, he had one wife, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he really he, he did the cultural thing in trying to produce a son by a surrogate. Uh, so he took the handmaid. But uh, every time they cross that line into multiple relationships, it shows that God does not bless that, the sorrow and the trial that comes. And then when it's time to get a bride for his son, they go back to the family. Don't marry amongst the people of the land. Mm. Go back. And then uh, when Jacob uh, has, again, that, that generation after generation, we've got to go back to our people to get one. And then uh, you know, Jacob's... Uh, in Esau's battle, Esau marries uh, of, of, the, of the neighbors, mm. and it breaks the heart of his parents, and then his brother marries multiples, you know, and then Jacob has multiples, but of the same people. So you, 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 see the, you see the mess that they're making out of this marriage thing, and yet even there, there's, there's this picture that there is a certain people you can marry and a certain people you can't. Mm. There's also a certain number of marriages and a certain you can't. So God never puts his blessing on the multiples. He always makes sure we see what a mess it makes of things, but mm. he does talk about where you get your bride or where the bride gets her husband. Mm. And, you know, that does a good job of highlighting what you've spoken to in narrative in the past, that narrative doesn't always step aside and yeah. provide the commentary and condemn or condone things. Things, it kind of just leads by example, and we see the, the ugly fallout yeah. again and again in the lives of the patriarchs when they misunderstand what God created marriage to be. But, but this theme is picked up and explored in the rest of the major categories of Scripture, yeah. too, not just the book of Genesis. First in the Pentateuch, which we've referred to before on the podcast, listeners, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So, so why do these books, especially... Exodus through Deuteronomy makes such a big deal out of who the Israelites are supposed to marry, especially before they enter the promised land. 
Well, yeah, the, the nation of Israel was raised up to be a unique people. He says, I did, you know, I did not love you because you were great and a mighty people, but it is through them that they would become the light. Mm-hmm. And so to maintain the purity of their witness or testimony, uh, and, and again, what, what happens even there is he warns them about intermarriage amongst the people that they are uh, neighbors to because they worship different gods. Mm. And so who you worship influences who you marry, and uh, for good or for bad. So he lays the groundwork. If it doesn't work out, he even gives guidelines for the termination of marriage relationships Mm. in the law. But uh, very clearly, uh, you are to marry amongst the people, not because of their ethnic identity, Mm. but because of their spiritual identity. Mm. And that's laid out in the Pentateuch. I think that's such a great a great way to put it too, Tom, because you highlighted and spoke specifically on Rahab, and that would be a prime yeah. example of that. She yeah. clearly wasn't of the ethnicity of the Israelites, yeah. but her conversion to worship of Yahweh means she ends up in the line of Christ. Yeah. So clearly yeah. there's an endorsement of what's going on. So yeah. it's not some sort of ethnic motivation so uh, much as really the worship. By that time, you've moved out of the Pentateuch and yeah. we're into Joshua, so we can get away yeah. with it. There, yeah. there you go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, so there's jumping a, ahead of us on here a little bit. Yeah, there's a number. There's a number of those who cross the line and say, why was that acceptable? Yeah. It's because of the God who they worship. Yeah. 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 Well, that's that's right where I was going anyway. So so we want to move from the Pentateuch into yeah. the historical books, Joshua through Esther, and maybe hopefully I haven't ruined the answer to your question already <laughs> no. here. Um, but how, how do those books, all these historical books, some of which you've taught on so far, the last one, Esther, coming up this Sunday, uh, what is their contribution to this theme? Well... Over and over, it, it, it shows us that uh, the marriage, I, I even like studying the kings, uh, Linda commented that it, it, it identifies their mother, though mm. you know Jewish genealogies is all through the husband. But mm. it says, and his mother was, and she's either of Jewish descendancy, which gives uh, usually ends up in one that does according to the law of the Lord mm. and like Father David, or she was not, and therefore he did evil all the days yeah. of his reign. So yeah. uh, there's a there's an influence of of the mother coming in. So you know Solomon's heart was turned away from the Lord because he married multiple foreign women and went after their God. So all the way through, you see that for for good or for bad, who they marry influences who they worship and how. And Mm -hmm. it's just a repeated theme over and over. Very good. Uh, And then Ezra obviously finds itself in this this particular portion of Scripture. So how did Ezra on Sunday specifically speak to this subject? Yeah, Ezra comes back. the, The people have been drawn into idolatry, and they have intermingled with the people as a result. And Isaiah preached to them about that. Jeremiah preached to them about that. Jeremiah took the marriage picture. And he used it as an illustration of God's relationship to his bride, the nation yeah. of Israel. And he said, I'm going to give you a divorce. You know, you've yeah. been so faithless. And got the whole Hosea story. Yeah. And also then all these, about 100 years later, roughly, you know, Ezra comes along, comes back to the land. He's, a, he's passionate about the word. He's devoted his heart to know the word. Can't wait to get back and start Bible studies and teach the word, only to find out that the very sin that led them into captivity has been repeated. They, they, they were indiscriminate on who they married. They gave their sons as husbands to foreign women. They gave their daughters as wives to foreign men, and they intermarried without considering who's the God that they're worshiping. And it absolutely broke Ezra's heart. Same thing's going to 
happen with Nehemiah, but it's spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. But the, there's another section of Scripture that, that comes kind of after Ez, or Esther when we get, you know, Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Songs and some of those, those books, the wisdom and poetic yeah. books. What is their contribution to this theme? Well, it's interesting. In, in, in Job, uh, again, you, you see Job as, as married to one woman. Her name is Mrs. Job, I think. It doesn't really tell <laughs> us. But even, even through the dark times and the good times, he has, is faithful to one. And he declares that when they challenge him. You mm-hmm. know, the suffering in your life is because of some sin. And he even declares his faithfulness, a fidelity mm-hmm. to his wife. And God blesses them. Uh, in, in especially Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, they, they highlight a pure relationship of marriage. One man, one woman for a lifetime is the source of great delight. Mm. Confusing a little bit because Solomon is the author God chose, (laughs) and he blew it big time in that area. But again, God continues to speak of the significance of who you marry and your walk with the Lord. So right in the middle of the Bible, he puts the Song of Solomon, Mm. eight chapters on the glory of a truly biblical marriage. Uh, Again, just to remind us again, I think twofold, one, of the treasure of two peoples pursuing the heart of the one God. God, and secondly, as a portrait of God's faithful love to his bride. You kind of have a double picture there. Mm, Yeah, those images are are really striking through those wisdom and poetic books. Um, Lastly, you've already kind of tipped your hand a little bit here with Isaiah and Jeremiah in the prophetic books, Um, but the Old Testament prophets criticize Israel's failure so much in this area. Why is it so critical? And and maybe you've already spoken to this a little bit, but specifically from the prophets. Uh, There's... You, you somehow you think we we call it evangelistic dating. You know, it's like, mm. well, I'll, I'll just date a non-believer, and then they'll see in me something different, and they'll want to follow my God. It it, it just shows us over and over again. It goes the opposite. It's mm. it is uh, those who follow the Lord that compromise and and marry someone who does not always default to their God. And mm. you know, I was even thinking going back to you know Jacob, the wife that he dearly loved, hides her father's idols under her saddle blanket. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. it was like. Really, right. and he finally tells all his family, oh, "Get rid of all those idols." So, uh, again, in the in the prophets and other places, it's just like when you cross that line, you begin to compromise, and you say, "Well, I'm, I'm in love with this person," and. One of the prices of loving this person is I have to embrace their worship, their God, and their culture. It draws your heart away from the purity of the living God. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and constantly, as you read the Old Testament, God highlights that. Where did you go wrong? It was in the choice of who you were going to marry. Mm. At that moment, you have made it. God's plan, God's provision is not sufficient. I'm going to go my own way. And the end result is and you, your own way leads you away from purity and your worship with God. Yeah, there's a couple of really good Gospel Coalition articles I want to I want to link on this podcast, and and one of those articles said it really well. They said if, if you find yourself in that position, the problem is it forces either you to alienate God from your marriage, or it forces you to alienate your spouse from your relationship with God. Yeah, you yeah. have to compromise one way or the other, yeah. and it's a troubling situation to find yourself in. So so this kind of brings us to basically how this all culminates. You know, Christ speaks to marriage, the New Testament speaks to marriage, and those kind of bring the fullest reality to, to bear yeah. on this idea of intermarriage. So what is the New Testament's take on this subject? How does it kind of fulfill this idea? Well, it, it, it's in, interesting that Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah 
at a wedding, mm. uh, first of all, John chapter mm. 2. And he didn't, I, in his own master plan, it doesn't appear that he went there in order to let them know that he was. But his mother said, just do whatever he tells you to do. He'll take care of it. Yeah. And it's the water and the wine thing. So he, he blesses there. And, and then the apostles pick up on it. And, you know, Paul writes in Corinthians, he said, don't be unequally yoked. What fellowship is light with darkness? So, again, in the church, there's a reminder that, that we are to be like-minded in relationship to the Lord. And, and then he says in Ephesians 5, mm-hmm. uh, let husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. So he, he takes that picture of Christ as the bridegroom and the believers corporately as the bride and his faithful love for us. And as you're going through it, you think this is a great marriage ceremony text. And he gets in, he says, now I'm speaking with reference to the Christ in the church. Nevertheless, <laughs> let each of you love your own wives and let yeah. your husband see, or your wife see to it you respect your husband. So again, he, it, it is a bigger picture than just yeah. the, the, the companionship for life. And then ultimately he climaxes it in Revelation. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper, marriage supper. of the lambs. Yeah. So Revelation chapter 19 is great. So you start in a garden in Genesis 2 and you end in a garden with a great wedding feast in Revelation 19, all the time declaring God's faithful love to a faithless bride. Hmm. What a potential amazing picture in yeah. the gift God has given us of marriage uh, for the reality of the gospel in Christ and the church. Okay, so all that being said, you've, you've now walked us Genesis through <laughs> Revelation through this entire <laughs> theme as we see it laid out continually through Scripture. Um, so if, if you were to preach a message on this theme, which you haven't gotten the chance to yeah. do, but I get the sense you would enjoy getting to do, what, what would a biblical understanding of this concept be when the whole Bible is taken into account? Well, I, I think I would jump back to the Song of Solomon, where they, in, in that beautiful romance, they complement each other. And to notice how it goes back and forth, they complement each other's physical beauty externally, immediately followed by a compliment on their internal character hmm. beauty. So I would say that God is not only concerned about the outside, but the inside. So mm-hmm. you're looking for someone, you're waiting on God if you're determining marriage, that would have the same heart for God that you have. Or mm-hmm. We often draw the... Draw the uh, the uh, pyramid, the, the triangle, yeah. and you have two people in the corner and say, and God at the top, and say, the closest you get to God, the closer you get to each other. And I think that is the biblical picture that if two people are seeking the Lord, then together they're drawn more closely. If they're seeking two different things, they're drawn apart. And the, the Bible's really clear mm. on that. I think the other is is to recognize that uh, whatever marriage relationship you're in today, that is God's will for your life. Yeah. That to say, well, I'm I'm looking for a soulmate or whatever. What what God shows with Hosea and other stories through the Scripture is that He can He can bring beauty out of a trashed relationship yeah. if we just simply yield to Him and say He has a perfect plan. One man, one woman together for a lifetime. Mm. And so where you are is where God wants you to be. And he wants to take where you are and make it the best it can be for his glory. Mm. And uh, only he can do that. You know, it's uh, Pastor Mike, when he does premarriage, is, a, you know, when sinners say, I do. And the reality is two fallen creatures making a commitment to love somebody else more than they love themselves ain't going to happen. <laughs> and then the Spirit of God comes in and he gives the grace to do it. Yeah. 
It's a great, a great word, great reminder. If I can attempt to summarize this conversation a little bit for our listeners, whether you're familiar with kind of the biblical concept of marriage or whether this is new to you, um, it's important to remember that what the Bible lays out for marriage is really in contrast to what our culture has a tendency yeah. to accept, that it's about self-fulfillment, it's about happiness, it's about, it's about physical attraction, compatibility. You know, none of those things are wrong in and of themselves, but when we make them the point of marriage, you get a lot of the, the same repercussions and the same fallout that we see in the biblical text. The idea is two people seeking to glorify God and grow in holiness and growing together with each other through that process. And the Bible lays that out again and again and again. So whether you're previous to marriage, whether you haven't found yourself in that situation, it informs who we're looking for, how we're evaluating people that we would date and potentially marriage. Those that are on the other side and have made a commitment, whether it is to a spouse that's a believer or not, God is calling your relationship with God into that marriage relationship and and asking you to fulfill the things he's called you to in that situation. We do hope that's an encouragement to you as listeners, uh, whether, whether, again, whether you're unmarried at this time or whether you're married at this time, the biblical understanding of that, I think, speaks to both situations. Um, any final thoughts on this subject, Tom, as we wrap it up? Well, the, the one I would include in that message would be 1 Corinthians 7. You know, mm-hmm. Why should someone marry? Yeah. And in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, I think the real answer is if you have determined that you can bring God greater glory together than you can separately, that's a good call to mm-hmm. marriage. There's something, as you said before, higher than companionship as the call. It's, it's reflecting the, the beauty of God in a glorious relationship. So uh, that would be my encouragement is to mm-hmm. say, how, how could God use this relationship to exalt his name in a more full way? Amen. What a great vision, biblical vision of what marriage is all really about. Um, Well, that's it for this week's discussion. Again, uh, listeners, shoot us questions if you have any additional thoughts on this subject. Obviously, in our culture, this is one that is uh, hotly debated, and so we'd be happy to follow up on any subjects that you'd like us to on the podcast. But Tom, this coming Sunday, you're you're into another another message. You've got the person and life of Esther. What are you looking forward to preaching on from that? Well, probably what I'm not looking forward to is trying to find the line of discretion. This mm. is this is a most unnerving book, and yeah. uh, the Bible story books have this beautiful beauty queen champion, uh, and uh, this king is a pig, mm. and uh, what what he has done and continues to do, and so you you wait and wait for somebody to use the name of God, for somebody to pray, for somebody to take wisdom from the word. And it's not in the text. Mm, so 10 mm-hmm. chapters and God's never mentioned. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's going to, uh, I'm excited about it because I, I think we can shed light on a misunderstood book. Yeah. I, I tend to think of Esther a little bit like the book of Jonah, <laughs> where yeah. we tend to yeah. think of it in one light, or maybe the person of Samson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's a yeah. little bit of a different take when yeah. I think you look at it biblically. Uh, good. We'll look forward to that on Sunday. Uh, maybe this speaks to what you're already talking to, but how about interpretive questions? Are you wrestling with anything there? Well, a little bit. As I was leaving the house this morning, I was telling Linda what, 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 what I'm seeing in there, and she said, are, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure that's, that's in there? And mm. so uh, really, I, I'd say the interpretive question here is building the bridge of relevance. Mm. How, how do I take it from the text 
into into the world we live in and, and make the application. And uh, I had a couple of aha moments early this morning on that. So, um, but I'm I'm wrestling with it as go. Is this novel? If it's novel, it's probably not accurate. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to look for confirmation or affirmation elsewhere. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited to unpack it. Very good. Very good. Finally, how can we prepare our hearts for the message on Sunday? I, I, I think the challenge, and uh, I'll just I'll, I'll just put the takeaway here, and then most people will forget it by Sunday anyway. So they, it'll come back as a fresh one. <laughs> when it comes one. back, they'll, they'll be ready. You'll say, for "Oh, it. I think I heard that somewhere That's before." Right. It is it's basically the danger of living in the world as the people of God w- without awareness or alertness Hmm. that that what happens in the book of Esther is that while the people of God were living in Persia, they awakened one day to realize Persia was living in them. Hmm. And so for us, I think, is I, Lord, Lord, I have to be in the world, but not of the world. Am I still separate as unto you? It's like going Hmm. back to that whole marriage thing and the people. It's like, am I I still different enough to be a light, a city on a hill? Hmm. Amen. Well, we'll look forward to hearing more about that on Sunday. Well, listeners, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks again for joining us. We do hope it was helpful and instructive as, as you are trying to build these themes that are that are played out in Scripture as well. Um, if I, I just want to say we don't normally mention, because we want this to be a podcast specifically speaking to and equipping our church members, um, but feel free to share this with anybody that you think might be helped by this discussion this week or the podcast in general. If you're looking for more information on this subject, we'll be linking a couple of those pod or those uh, Gospel Coalition articles I mentioned on the podcast notes again this week. Really good reads as you're seeking to understand this topic more. And remember, if you're following along in the weekly reading, Esther, Tom will be preaching primarily from Esther 1, 2, and 8. So take time and read those in preparation of the message. And as always, be sending us questions. If you have anything that comes up, we love to hear those. We'll actually be addressing our first question here in a couple of weeks. Looking forward to that. And know that we'll be praying for you as you study the Bible for yourself this week. We hope you join us again next week for Midweek in the Word. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.